we are going to open the scriptures so that we can present ourselves to the word of God for him to to grow us and transform us. But let's just bring our thinking in a little bit. Lord God, we thank you for this letter that you stirred up Paul to write to the Corinthian church. And as it has been something you've preserved for Christians now, for the followers of Christ for two millennia, we ask that you would take these words and apply them to our own hearts and to our own thinking. Lord Jesus, would you do some surgery inside of us? We ask that that these words would really truly be your words to us. Lord God, I ask that you would bring clarity. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring truth and that you would reveal Christ to us. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Um, thank you, Brooke, uh, for reading out the passage that we're going to be doing um, this morning. This is uh, week 12 of us having a look at Corinthians. And where we got up to uh, last week, we're in chapter 4, and we had a look at the language that Paul used contrasting the life of an apostle and the life of the people who are in the Corinthian church. So I'm just going to read uh, these couple of verses, and then we're going to have a look at the passage this morning. We're going to be doing a lot of Bible this morning. You will need a Bible open in your hand because I don't have every passage uh, of Scripture that's going to be up here on the screen, but there's some stuff I really want you to see. So grab a Bible, open it up in front of you. So chapter 4, verse 8, I'll just reread this and then we'll get into the section we're looking at today. Paul writing to the Corinthians, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us, talking about the apostles. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. And out of that, we talked about this contrast that if there is something significantly different about our experience of following God and the actual experience of the apostles or the experience of, of early Christians, then we need to take note. We need to heed a warning. If we are living a life of safety and comfort where God only ever seems to give us the things that we want, maybe we're out of order. And we need to check. We need to be continually returning to the Scriptures to see. And then Paul gets a little bit sharper if he wasn't sharp enough already. This is our passage. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Paul here is pulling rank over the teachers 
in the Corinthian church. These teachers that he'd been writing against for the first four chapters because they were bragging about their own status. He here is saying, actually, I'm not just a guardian of you. I'm not just a pastor. I'm not just a teacher. I am, I'm like a father to you. I became your father through the gospel. And this is kind of his main point. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What has Paul just been talking about? He's been talking about the contrast between the way he lives and the way the Corinthians have been encouraged to live by their leadership. And here Paul is saying in verse 16, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason. For what reason? Imitation. He wants them to imitate him for this reason, so that they will imitate him. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy. My son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Paul has not given one version of the gospel to Corinth and another to Philippi and another to Ephesus and and another to, to these other churches in Galatia and in Rome. Everyone sees Paul for who he is. He does not change personality depending on the room that he's in. He does not have a different lifestyle. What you see is what you get, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And then here's our really crisp part. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon. I want you to hear clearly in this, Paul is threatening the church. Read his words very carefully. Paul is threatening the church. I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? And then straight away after this, in chapter 5, Paul looks at a very clear, very um, controversial example, very specific example of the way that the leadership of the Corinthian church has led the people astray. And he starts with this big word, incest. We're not going there this week. We're going to pause here this week. We're going to find something to send the kids out to do next week. I I want to put to you that what Paul is talking about here is that he is about to stage an intervention. He is warning the Corinthian church of how far off track they have drifted and who is Paul going to send to intervene in the life of the Corinthian church? I'll give you a hint. It's up here in green. Timothy, let's just let that thought sink in for a minute. The Corinthian church has so drifted off course that Paul is deliberately sending Timothy to fix the problem. Elsewhere, Paul refers to Timothy as his brother. Here, Paul refers to Timothy as his son in whom he is well pleased. Paul's choice of language is very deliberate. Turn over with me to Mark chapter 12. Flick back a little bit into the Gospels, Matthew, 
Mark, if you get to Luke, you've gone a little bit too far. Mark was a travelling companion of Paul. We find that out in the book of Acts. And there is every chance, every chance, incredibly likely, that when Paul comes to write his letters, he has already heard all of the detail and all of the teaching that Mark has written in his gospel. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Chapter 12, verse 2. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to him, to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him, last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? This is Jesus teaching here. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Paul here says, I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love. This is the same phrase that the Lord himself uses that we find again in Mark's gospel when Jesus is baptized. This is very specific terminology. If we go right to the end um, of the book of Corinthians, Paul explicitly states to the Corinthian church, I think it's in chapter 16, he says to them, do not give Timothy any reason to be afraid. He has a very real concern that for what he sends and what he writes to the Corinthian church, they will not respond receiving his correction but they are going to arc up and they may even attack Timothy. And he he describes Timothy as his son whom he loves. The next thing we find is that he uses this phrase, I will come to you very soon. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 11. Exodus, second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. If you get to anything else, you've gone too far and go back. that I'm aware of, we find God using this phrase, I myself will come, only twice in the Bible. We're going to have a quick look at that. First one is in Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. Verse 4, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. 
God himself is the one who promises that he will go through Egypt. And are the Egyptians about to have a really wonderful night? We know the story is not a trick question. They're about to have the worst night. The Lord promises, I will go throughout Egypt. And what happens is we understand from other passages of Scripture, the Lord sends his emissary. We refer to it as the angel of death. When God turns up, it's not a good day. It's a bad day. Turn with me to Amos. Amos is one of the minor prophets, so you find him towards the end of the Old Testament. He's not a minor prophet because he's less important. He's a minor prophet because he didn't write as much as, say, Jeremiah or Ezekiel. When you've found Amos, just give me a bit of a nod. Okay, a couple of nods in the room, wonderful. Amos chapter 5. The book of Amos is God judging his own people because they have failed to represent him. Um, if there is a book of the Bible that I believe is really important for the Australian church, for you and for me and our brothers and sisters to read, we must read Amos because God will not have his own people misrepresent him without him correcting them. In chapter 5, we come down through all of these descriptions um, of, of what they have done wrong and of what God will do in order to correct them. Come down to verse 16, Amos chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says, there will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards for what? I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Paul here says, I will come to you very soon. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. We find out at the end of the book of Corinthians that Paul is doing other ministry in and around Ephesus, um, and the Lord may keep him there. So it's not that Paul is making a hollow threat here. He is keeping himself subject to the will of God. But he says this, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Verse 20 in this passage is the only verse in a whole lot of Scripture that we find here in Corinthians where Paul does not explicitly mention himself or the Corinthian church. There is no I or you statement in that verse. Paul is stating something which stands on its own as a principle about God. And in verse 20, what is it that Paul has to say? The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Paul is saying these people are, are bragging about themselves. They are talking themselves up. They are wanting you to follow them. Uh, people have, have started buying into that and they're bragging about who baptized them. All this stuff has been going on in the Corinthian church. Paul is about to get into the specifics of the way the leaders have led those people astray. And here he says, I will come because they have words and we will see what they're really made of. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I want to give you some perspective so that we understand what Paul is talking about. I told you we're going to read some Bible this morning. Book of Acts. New Testament. Matthew. Mark. Luke, 
John, who I know you're familiar with, Acts. Come over into Acts chapter 13. About halfway through the book of Acts, it starts really talking about Paul's experiences. And in Acts chapter 13, we'll start reading from verse 4. This is after the Holy Spirit has spoken to a group of them right at the start of Acts 13. And then Paul and Barnabas head off. Acts chapter 13, verse 4. The two of them, that is Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by who? The Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is John the Apostle. John is with them as their helper. John's not running the show. Verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Or in your Bible, it might read Elemas, which literally means son of Jesus. That's who he called himself, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemas and said, You are a child of the devil. You're not son of Jesus, you're son of the devil, and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Jump down to verse 19. No, 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 sorry, got the wrong chapter. Acts chapter 13, verse 49. Jump down to verse 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Paul's ministry, we see that the power of God moves in an extraordinary way through Paul. We've just seen him declare God's judgment and someone gets blinded which is extraordinary because how did God get Paul's attention? He blinded him. We know the story on the Emmaus Road. And here we see Paul ministering and people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Read on in Acts chapter 14. Um, Come down to verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, uh, talking about Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And it's not listed here what they are. They were common enough, and the original readers of this document would have understood well enough that it didn't have to be spelled out. Oh, yeah, Paul Paul and Barnabas were doing signs and wonders in Iconium. 
There is something about Paul's experience of the intimacy of God picking him up and using him that Paul understands there is there is the power of God that turns up. And it says here, again in verse 3, that the Lord confirmed the message of his grace. We see these signs and wonders happening through Paul because God is validating the message of who he is. And we see that around the world today. We see that there are still people who are healed. We, we see that there are still people who have evil spirits cast out of them, that the Spirit of God confirms the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. God validates himself. Um, stay in chapter 14, down to verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth, had never walked. Verse 9, he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. And that the man jumped up and began to walk. I hope you can see the nature of Paul's experience of God here. Acts chapter 16, down in verse 8, it says this, um, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Paul is used to being led and having his, his actions directed by the Spirit of God. This is what we're praying for Ross and Colleen this morning. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, otherwise known as the city of Troy. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul is used to these visions and dreams being a normal part of what it is for the Spirit of God to be using him in ministry. Come to verse 16. Again, chapter 16, verse 16. Paul and Silas. Once when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And we find that they actually get in, in some trouble because people realize that they're not going to be able to make money off this person anymore. But casting out an unclean spirit or an evil or a wicked spirit from someone, something which has got a hold on them, which is not the person's own spirit, is a normal part of the mission and ministry that Paul is involved in. Come down to verse 25. Again, in chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, as you do when you're in prison. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer and all his household come to faith throughout that. There is some weight behind Paul's words here. Coming to chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, verse 1. 
We're going to do a couple more pieces, then we're going to come back into Corinthians, okay? Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, chapter 18 of the book of Acts is where Paul goes to Corinth for the first time, and we find that he spent uh, two years there. Acts chapter 19, Paul's not there, but Apollos is. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. These are disciples of Apollos. These are men who have already been taught about God. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance where people would get washed as a sign that they want God to wash them. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. We'll skip a few more of these passages. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Paul is staging an intervention. He is interrupting the direction and and the picture of the future that this group of people had because they were way off track and they had no idea. And have you ever had someone interrupt you? Have you ever had someone where you were going really, really well and you're like, this is what's going to happen and this is my plan and then something happens and it just completely shears it off in front of you? It is not a comfortable feeling. Often we don't have happiness for the people that cut us off in traffic. I know that Kerrang is not renowned for its traffic. But when, when an interruption happens, when the way that we had planned for things to work out gets severed or, or we, we are blocked from going in that direction, often the feeling that gets stirred up inside is one of resentment, saying, you know, this, this person is now in the way. This thing is now stopping me from moving forward. And Paul is planting Timothy and Paul is, is writing this letter to intervene in the picture of, of the future that the Corinthian church had. He uses this language, which is the language of God. I myself will come to you. This is my son whom I love. This is serious stuff. And very simple point this morning, the Corinthian church had no clue how off track they were. They had no idea that what they wanted And what they were pursuing was actually incredibly seriously not what God wanted for them. And so if God is prepared to get Paul to intervene in the life of the Corinthians, then what would it be like for God to interrupt your life? Because we can have these same experiences happen where we go, nothing is working out the way I wanted it to. This is not how I pictured my future. This is not the life that I wanted. 
but God is at work. Maybe God is actually going, you know what? This is not who I created you to be. And we can go, you're taking me off on a detour. You're taking me off on some side road. But what God is actually doing is picking you up and pointing you exactly back where he wants you to go. And if God does this, and we read about it in Amos, if if the Lord does this through Paul to the Corinthian church, then what about us? Us as individuals, but maybe even us as a church. What would it look like? Are we prepared to allow God to confront us? us because it might feel like a detour we might end up going this is not what i wanted this is not on the brochure i didn't sign up for this and we can have a resentment that that the life of faith either as individuals or as a group is not playing out the way that we wanted it to the way that we pictured it to but we are actually exactly where god wants us to be we are being reoriented to focus on christ Paul threatens the Corinthian church that he himself is going to turn up. But for you and me, Paul is not going to walk into this room. Paul is not coming. Timothy is not coming. But there is a day where you and I will stand before the God of Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We will give account for our lives and our conduct and our values, the things that we have said, this is what I am chasing, Lord. We will give account as to whether or not we have moved towards obedience or gone astray. The great news in this, and this is the part that really excites me, is if God did not care about you, he would let you wander off. If God did not care about you, he would let you wander off. If you did not care about your children, if you did not care about your family members, if you did not care about your pets, you would just let them wander off. You would not try and do anything to recapture them. So I want to encourage you this morning, God loves you. And if God has been trying to get your attention, the Holy Spirit will put his finger on your heart. You're going to know about it. That God loves you. And more than that, God likes you. It's a saying we've adopted in our household is we walk around the house and we say to each other, you know what, I like you. It's true because you and I have family members and other people that we know who we love because of the love of God, but maybe we don't like all the time. So we remind each other that we actually like each other. And you know what? God likes you. Does God love you? Yes, but God likes you. If he didn't love you and if he didn't like you, he would not interrupt you. He would not intervene in your life to get your attention. Lord Jesus, for those of us who are in this room this morning, where our life has been interrupted, where our life has not gone the way that we thought it would, Lord God, let us hear your voice. Would we hear your spirit calling out in front of us, come this way? And would we hear your spirit speaking from behind us saying, don't come this way anymore? Would you, would you so clearly direct us? Lord God, where there are things that we need to stop doing or start doing as individuals or as a church family, 
in order for you to be glorified, for you to be so clearly made known in this part of the world, continue walking us and stretching us and growing us. Lord God, we we never want this to be about us. We want this to be about you. Show us how that is supposed to happen. Lord God, we know that we are not effective. Would you make us effective? Would you cause us to be a weapon in your hand? Would you pick us up? Would you use us? Lord God, I dare to pray that we would know the truth of Paul's words, that the kingdom of God is about power and not just words. Lord God, if we need to see your power at work, that we may be confronted, that we may be transformed, that we may have a healthy fear of you, then come, Lord Jesus. Lord God, if you are interrupting us, cause us to be obedient. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our plans for the future to you. Lord God, we ask that you would guide our steps by your spirit. We ask all these things because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.